moving day. Well, not officially. It was bad enough that the underground haven I was living in was horrible, wretched, and completely tasteless. That was enough to endure. But it is no longer safe. A stronghold is not meant to be aesthetically beautiful. It is meant to be strong. So what purpose does that white linoleum nightmare serve now? None. Now that I know he's been in. I sit now in what you might call a motel. It is not ideal. It can be made dark enough and pleasant enough, but a simple deadbolt and chain are hardly sufficient. But anonymity and secrecy make up for that somewhat. This laptop, my collection of notes, stories, photographs, and drawings, my microphone, the clothes on my back, that's all I need, really. It's almost all that I have. Had. I had been there for years, I just realized. Granted, quite a few of those years were spent sleeping, but it was mine, disgusting as it was. That little place. And now I am uprooted, misplaced for now, in this strange place. It does have a television. That may prove enlightening. I am tired of being on the run. Tired of moving around. Perhaps I should have stayed and confronted him. But this is the game we play. Why? I'm not entirely sure, because it's fun, because it's terrifying, because it's dramatic, because it's what we do. Because deep down, I am afraid of death. And though I am not strictly alive, I know that if there is one thing that can bring about my end, it is him. And I'm not ready, I'm afraid. So I run. And here I am. Listen, I don't really want to talk about this very much. Not right now. I can't say why. Perhaps I'm frustrated. Perhaps I'm tired. But let me just put it like this. I need a story just as much as you do tonight. So let's get to it. There was once a woman who could not let questions go unanswered. Her life's ambition was to uncover the truth about things seen and unseen, known and unknown. In her time, she might have been called a parapsychologist or a paranormal investigator, as those words were becoming more and more popular in her day, after the rise and fall of spiritualism. But what she may have been known as, and what she wanted to be known as, were two very different things. For you see, she was truly a writer and a scholar deep down, in her heart of hearts that hadn't been admitted into college, had never been given an assignment on a local newspaper. Despite all of these setbacks, she knew one truth undeniably. She had a book inside of her. 
not a fictional novel but a research piece. Proof for or against the afterlife of the presence of ghosts and spirits in our world. It stemmed from the same thing. As a child, she had seen ghosts. Terrifying, frightening things that would try to communicate with her. Try to frighten her, or try to charm her. But she knew better. Her parents refused to believe her, even sending her away for months of psychiatric evaluation. But this did not stop her visitors from trying to reach out to her still. Eventually, she learned to simply keep these events to herself, and not sharing them with anyone, they slowly ceased to happen. And eventually, she was released. And no one spoke of these incidents again. But she remembered every single one of them. And she remembered that no one had believed her. And she remembered the way people looked at her when she tried to explain it to them. And so she silently vowed to prove them all wrong. To make them regret their neglect and mistreatment of her. To make them know what it is to doubt your own faculties. She had read about a house. An old, now abandoned and decrepit house that was rumored to have hosted tragedy. Many generations of tragedy, in fact. It had several stories of residents having gone missing, having been found dead, or having been found mad and murderous. The place was located far outside of town on its own land that probably nobody owned anymore, but no one dared build on. No one discussed the land or the house on it, but secretly everyone agreed not to disturb it. She had read the news articles, the police reports, some speculative writing on the subject of the house, but nothing that delved into how it could be possible that one house could be responsible for so much suffering, so much malice. She became obsessed. She set out to find out the truth to this herself, and perhaps in the endeavor to validate her own past. The woman drove to the place herself. Over the course of the few hours it took her to get there, she didn't think twice about her mission. She felt a deep fear and dread, sure, but she didn't waver, didn't even slow down. As she exited the car, she stood in front of the house and stared it down. It was fairly large. Four floors, several windows, all facing her and staring back at her. The bricks, once clean and red, were so weathered they were almost black. The door, made of wood that was as black as the bricks now, looked at her as though it did not want to be opened. The garden looked as if it had died a century ago. Hello, she said quietly to the house. And she went in. It wasn't locked. She had alerted the authorities that she planned to go to conduct research. She would not steal or deface anything. They could check if they wanted to, though she knew they wouldn't dare. She told them she would be there for a maximum of three days, likely less. If no one heard from her after that, perhaps come find her, in case anything had gone wrong. But she was going to set up camp and remain until she felt satisfied one way or another. How can I describe this house to you? Easily, I think. For a place with such a dreadful reputation, it did not seem to be so on first glance. No cobwebs, no bats, nothing overt. 
It was simply empty. The rooms were clean and simple, with most small furniture pieces gone, most flourishes and pieces of decor having been taken. The occasional chair or table, but otherwise it did look uninhabited. It was almost shocking how bare the rooms were. But for a place with so little furniture and ornamentation, there was one unusual thing. There were some pieces of art that were left. No, not some, many. Mostly in the front hall. The walls were decked with large paintings, the corners occupied by detailed and strange statues. This continued up the stairs and into the second-floor hallway. She examined each one as she passed, and she realized that every painting, every statue, was of a person. There were no landscapes or abstracts. Each portrait or statue captured the image of a person, whether they be beautiful or ugly, sad or fierce, ordinary or strange and they spanned from the 18th century up to what must have been as recent as 40 years ago. All right, she thought to herself. You know where to start. Start with research, with real, hard fact. She locked the door. She turned on some lights. She settled in for what would be a long night. She began a self-guided tour of the house. She knew some of the rooms from photographs and blueprints, but not all of them. The most unsettling thing about the house was her expectation of it. She expected something to be off, something menacing to be waiting around every corner. But every time she felt unsafe, or a dark room intimidated her before she flicked on the light switch, there would be nobody there. Not a person, at any rate. A painting, a statue, a bust, or an artistic likeness, perhaps. But no one there. But she did find things, things of note. A dusty old journal that must have been over a hundred years old. A wax cylinder recording of some kind. A collection of letters dating as far back as 1750. She collected them up in her arms as she went, and eventually wended her way back to the downstairs living room in which she had set up her study. She started with the letters. She pored over each one, with no one watching her except for a statue of a gentleman in one corner and a portrait of a lady on the wall. She set up a tape recorder beside herself so she could easily speak any thoughts or notes she had into it as she studied. The letters were all in the same handwriting, and all addressed to the same woman. She had lived here, and they were all signed by the same person. These were love letters. She poured over them all in depth and detail. My dearest love, one of them said, I cannot wait for the day when you can leave that wretched place and we can finally be together. My dearest love, another one began, I am concerned at the way things transpire there. Are you sure you're quite safe? My dearest love, yet another letter read, you must leave at once. If it is ever finished, it will mean the death of you. Please, let me take you from there. The woman clicked the record button on the tape recorder and spoke into it. If it is ever finished, it will mean the death of you. What was it? She pressed stop, and she froze in place. 
someone was watching her. She knew it without doubt. She turned around. No one there. Just an empty room. That painting, that statue. But she knew that feeling. She knew it from when she was a child, alone and frightened in her room, frightened both of the thing that stared at her from the shadows, and frightened because she couldn't tell a soul about it. Couldn't scream for help. She rose and went to the kitchen. She wanted to fetch a glass of water to calm down and get back to work. On her way back, however, she noticed something strange. It was a painting. In a hallway she hadn't seen yet. Well, not a painting. It had a piece of white fabric draped across it, and though one could see a bit of canvas peeking through, it was blank. Why was it mounted to the wall if it was a blank canvas? It was even framed. She almost went to lift the fabric, but then she heard a noise in the living room. She ran to it. It was the journal it had fallen off the table. She took it in her hands and began to read. Hours passed as she devoured the story inside. It was a woman, a woman who had lived in the house with her husband. For the most part, it was quite dull. She spoke about moving to the house after their marriage, hiring staff, her dreams of a family, her interest in botany and in reading. Simple things, happy things. Until things started to change, it would seem. He hasn't slept for several nights now, one diary entry began. He is obsessed. He never had any interest in art before, and I applaud him taking it up as a hobby, but he spends all night with paint and easel. He says it isn't perfect, and he can't stop until it is. The worst part is that he says it's for me. As she read, the woman clicked on the recorder and read an excerpt of the next day out loud, her voice trembling. I have seen it. Finally. It is a horrible thing. I have to leave here. And the next day's journal, she continued to read aloud, though her hands shook and her voice cracked. It is almost finished, he says, but it needs me. It needs me so it can be perfect. I tried to leave, tried to run, but he locked me in. He's coming back. No, not him. It's coming. And there was nothing further. The diary stopped. She shut it. She slowly turned and looked toward the statue of the man in the corner. Not a god, not a hero, but it was just a man. Just a regular man in regular clothes, staring off into the distance. She looked at the painting. It was a woman, a regular woman in a normal dress, staring off into the distance. Who are you? She whispered into the recorder. More importantly, what is it that these people were all afraid of? Then she felt it again, eyes on her. Yet no one was in the room, no one that she could see. But she heard a sigh. (sighs) 
and something else. She stood up, suddenly out of her seat. She ran through the halls trying to catch whoever, whatever it was. She was afraid, but she ran towards the voice because it was why she was here, because she knew that it was in the house and not in her head, and she had to prove it. No one. It was the middle of the night, perhaps even the early, dark hours of the morning, and she was alone here. She was acutely aware of it now. She stopped, breathing heavily, just in that secluded hallway she had found before, with the canvas mounted to the wall and covered. Wasn't it blank before? Now there was, and she shook as she realized it, a small, illegible signature in the corner of the painting. Just a little bit of color. Nothing more. She touched it, and it smudged. It was fresh. She yanked her hand away and slowly, not taking her eyes off the canvas, headed back towards her study. There would be no sleep for her tonight, no chance of it. The pile of letters in the journal lay scattered out on the table next to the tape recorder. And the wax cylinder was there as well asking to be listened to, from the looks of it, for the first time. She began to wander the house quickly and frantically, looking for something to play the cylinder on. Her movements were quick and determined. She didn't want to meet anyone or anything in these halls. Though her courage faltered, her persistence didn't. She ran upstairs room to room, searching. She turned a quick corner and was face to face with a woman. A statue of a woman. Beautiful and sad, dressed as though she was from the 18th century. She dated quite a bit earlier than the statues and paintings downstairs. The woman almost screamed, but she didn't. She was struck by her eyes. How detailed, how lovely. Not a line or hair misrepresented on this statue. How did the artist achieve such detail? She looked down. The statue's hands were outstretched, and she was holding what appeared to be a mechanical cylinder phonograph. The woman reached out with trembling hands and grabbed it, and took it easily from the marble figure. And as she turned to head down the stairs, she made eye contact with another woman. One on a painting. Another sad woman her eyes wide and wild. The detail in her expression, the horror set in the oil paints and outlined in meticulous strokes, was almost too much to bear. She remembered the woman from the journal suddenly saying, It is a horrible thing. It seemed to ring true of this painting. Terrified but fueled by what seemed to be hints of a connection, of a story, a terrible, frightening story coming into place. She returned to the living room where the wax cylinder still lay waiting. She set up the phonograph. She played it. It is not me, and yet it is me. I have seen it. He came after me in the night. 
he came into our room and he was crying. And he said he had to do it. He had to do it so that the masterpiece could be complete. It needed me. I didn't mean to hurt him. I was just trying to save myself. And now I'm alone here. Almost. Even if the artist is dead, you see, the artwork is still very much alive. And it still needs me. All it needs to be complete is me. And I will give myself to it. It will be perfect. I will be perfect. The woman froze in place as the wax cylinder crackled and faded out. She turned it off. She stood. She slowly walked to the hallway to the blank canvas, which she could see under the fabric was now almost complete. She removed the fabric. And there she sat, in the same clothes she wore now, in the same living room she'd been sitting in, with the same phonograph. She stared into her own eyes, which were full of frantic, quiet terror and confusion. Quite accurate. And she heard it behind her. She turned to see a dark figure. She could not make out the face or features, but his silhouette was from the 18th century, and he clutched, as though they were weapons, a chisel in one hand, a paintbrush in the other. He breathed heavily. It had to be perfect, she whispered. You needed a perfect subject, a perfectly still subject, still for hours and hours and hours. The figure's head raised slightly. And you never left, she continued. You left your frenzy and your obsession to every other man who lived here. The figure stood perfectly still now. And you had generations of women and men at your disposal to be your subjects. He turned his head to focus on the painting, not on her. The hair wasn't colored in. There were patches of detail missing in her hands, her mouth, one of her eyes. It wasn't finished. It wasn't perfect. It needed one thing to be perfect, she knew. And then the lights went out. The wax cylinder began to play again, somehow from the beginning. It is not me, and yet it is me. And she ran. She ran throughout the house searching for the door, searching for her way out. I will not succumb. I've seen things like you before. I will not give up. I can't be controlled, she thought to herself. And it was true, you see. She had seen nightmares like these her whole life. She had fended off apparitions and spirits since she was a child. It needs me, but I need nothing. It needs me, but I need nothing. And the wax cylinder continued. And I will give myself to it. It will be perfect. I will be perfect. I already am, you fool, she thought to herself, 
Your artwork is a pale reflection of me and what I am. She found the front door. She heard his breathing right in her ear now. She unlocked the door. She could just barely see his shadowed arm raising the phantom chisel above his head. And she simply opened the door. It was dawn. The light came in. And the shadowed man's eyes glinted silver in the light for the first time. Two silver flashes in an otherwise featureless face. And he backed away slowly, wounded by the light, retreating into the shadows. She thought for a long moment. Thought about the documents she'd collected. The tapes she had recorded, and the painting in the hallway that couldn't possibly have been completed in one night. All of these things were proof. All of these things were grounds for the book she might write that would change everything for her. Change the way people saw her. Change the way she saw herself. But then she smiled. I already am perfect. She set the house on fire. She got in her car. And she drove away as far away as she could go. I think she is still living her life. I met her once, and she was truly living it then. I can't imagine why she wouldn't be now. She let go of the things that were chasing her. The things in that house, the things in her past, the things in her mind. She escaped. I hope to as well. Sweet dreams, lovely friends. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in for another week. This is Kristen Zaza, your storyteller for this evening and every other evening on this podcast, I guess. Hope your April has been going well. Things are pretty quiet over here. Um, in recent news, I've just created an account on Coffee. How do you pronounce that? I think it's co- Coffee. Coffee? I don't know. K-O-F-I. And I'm really excited about it. Coffee is a great website that basically allows you to support creators of content that you enjoy by buying them a coffee, as in donating $3 at a time. So if you enjoy the show and want to buy me a coffee to help me out as I continue to produce the show, I'd be really grateful. I do have a goal I'd like to reach someday. You can read more about it on the page. And my goals are ones that will only continue to improve the show. So if that's intriguing to you, please check out my page and send me a coffee. The link is ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. So that's coffee.com slash darkcoldnight. As always, I also have my account on Patreon. If you'd prefer to donate a little bit monthly, you can find me there at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Obviously, you're listening to this now, so you have a podcast app you like or a means of listening you prefer. If you're interested in helping the podcast but can't donate, why not download and listen to the show on Radio Public? 
I'm a part of Radio Public's paid listens program, so uh, what this means is that while it's free for you to use, every listen on Radio Public goes toward me earning money for my work. Pretty cool, right? Free for you, good for me, everybody wins. And, as always, the best way to help out that is absolutely free and easy is to share the word about the podcast. Follow me and hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or Insta. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, and you can email me with any thoughts or questions at darkcoldnightpodcast at gmail.com. I might just answer a question on air, so hey, you can also reach me on Facebook. We have a page you can like and follow and get in touch with me on there. Finally, reviews and ratings are a huge deal. You can leave a rating or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, lots of other places, including this awesome podcast directory called podknife.com. Well, thanks, guys. As always, I really appreciate your listening to the show. You are all awesome. Reach out at any time. It is very likely that I will answer. Have a great week. Bye.